as soon as you can after waking, you want to expose your eyes to bright light. For and how so, long? Well, it's cumulative. So if you just go to the window and you open up your blinds and you just like look outside for 10, 20, 30 seconds, I mean, that is enough. That's enough to like wake you up. And through the glass, it's all good? Through the glass, it's all good. Why did I hear yeah. that through the glass is no bueno? <laughs> like, like the glass deters the, the effect. There's a lot, I think there's a lot of misinformation um, on social media with this, you know, with, with topics that are as complex as this. But it's like, you know, we know that our circadian rhythms can be perturbed by exposure to bright light from our devices, right? When they're like flush up against our faces and like big, big screen TVs and the like. And through like artificial lights, which come from light bulbs, which have to pass through the glass of the bulb, right? So for us to recognize that, but then not think that we're getting adequate light through our windows doesn't make any sense. What is up, podcast community? My name is Michael Chernow, and this is the Creatures of Habit podcast. Habits are everything, and on this show, I will be interviewing some of the most inspiring, motivated, and high-performing humans on the planet to learn about the daily habits, routines, and rituals that help keep them focused, determined, on top of their game, and ultimately happy. My journey from the depths of addiction and misery to success as a family man and serial entrepreneur was only made possible by replacing bad habits with great ones. And my mission in life today is to share that story and the story of others with you to bring value and life-changing tools to as many people as possible. So sit back, relax, and pay attention because what you hear in this podcast today can potentially change your life. Let's go. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Creatures of Habit podcast for another episode of fucking awesomeness. Um, I've got a guest on the show that I've wanted to have on the show for a long time, Max Lugavere. Uh, you know him from his podcast, The Genius Life Podcast. Also, he is a New York Times bestselling author, The Genius Life book. Uh, Max has done so much. He has so much content and knowledge that he's going to share with us today. I've got so many questions because he interviews so many people about habits, hacks, tricks, tips. Like he's got it all. He's he's literally talked to the best of the best in the world in of better lifestyles. So Max, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. The Creatures Habit Podcast is really a show where I try to meet with people like you to talk about habits, rituals, routines, uh, specifically in the morning, in the evening, and then a few things throughout the day that can help you stay focused, organized, on top of your shit. Damn, I thought we were just going to be talking about oatmeal the whole time. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> See ya. Um, so, you know, I, I've, I've been a big fan for a long time. We met, I think, in 2019. We were on a panel at Strong New York together. That's right. You reminded me of that, and then I, I forgot. But yeah, that was, that was. And we have like a photo together too that I've shared on my on my Instagram. We have a photo. Yeah, numerous times. I love it. Um. So yeah, that's where that's where we first met, and uh, and I've been a fan ever since. I listen. I love your show. I've read your book. Um. I listen to your show all the time. I appreciate that shout out on the show where you talked about uh, meal one and your introduction to overnight oats. Yes, dude. I'm. It's so funny because I'm like a 40 year old guy who just discovered overnight oats for the first time thanks to you. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, been, it's been a wonderful journey thus far. I was turned on to meal one by my good friend, Brian Rubenstein, who's a rock star in like the CPG better for you product space. And um, 
and he gave me a few packets to try and I'd never made over or tasted overnight oats. I was like, what is, what's the difference between overnight and like just making them in the microwave, you know? And I'm not, I'm generally not even a big like oat person, or at least I wasn't at the time. And it's just like, it's like having dessert in the morning, but it's super healthy. It's got all these, you know, healthy fats, you load it with protein. So it's like, you're just, you're, you're taking out all the like the busy work in the kitchen. And it's like this really complete meal that just like tastes great. And, <laughs> and, and then and texturally it's super fun. So yeah, thanks for making it. <laughs> and that's it folks. Great episode. Thanks so much for joining the show. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think the, the oatmeal game is, is a real, is it for, for people in the world of movement, right? For people in the world of activity, a lot of people use oatmeal. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's an easy, uh, somewhat satiating meal to, to, to have on the fly. Um, the, the, the thing that I found out over the years in my oatmeal journeys, cause there, there's, I've been doing it for a long time is that oatmeal alone without a significant amount of protein and fat is not really going to fill you up for yeah. an extended period of time. It's like, it's, it's not simple carbohydrates where your body just flies through it. Um, it is more of a complex carbohydrate that does, that does burn a little slower. However, Carbohydrates alone in general are not going to be satiating, right? Yeah. They kind of like trigger the health, the hunger, the hunger thing. And an hour later, you want to eat more. So adding, uh, really, really sort of filling out the macronutrient split with 30 grams of protein, 10 grams of fat, or 7 to 10 grams of fat, depending on the flavor, has really made for like a full, complete satiating meal that keeps you full for a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, we also know that like people who eat br- uh, protein as their uh, breakfast their, their fast breaking meal of the day tend to make healthier choices throughout the, the, the rest of the day because it's, it just sets them up for more stable blood sugar. Um, you know, there's like a hormonal aspect to it. I think that that probably sets people up for success. So yeah, I mean like I, I would never start the day with like just pure carbs, but I was, I'm generally like a morning workout person and I, for a very long time have enjoyed fasted workouts, but over the past couple of, um, over the past year, probably I've been experimenting with more like pre-workout carbs. And I'm not, I'm generally not like a big grain guy. I don't, I don't really like think that they're the devil or anything like that as they're often made to be, especially like in the, in the paleo sphere. But, um, but you know, like oats were just something that, that weren't really like on my radar, but I started like integrating these like pre-workout carbs. And, um, I noticed that they would give me like, it would give me more energy, like in, in the gym. Mm. Um, I actually first started experimenting with them, with them when I took up, uh, boxing. So about a year and a half, two years ago, I I started taking up, uh, like private boxing lessons. And I would notice that when fasted, having a, like a strength training workout for me, fasted, totally fine. But boxing, I would bonk without like some carbs in my system. Interesting. Yeah. And so, um, and so, yeah, so I started like, you know, the, the oats have been great. So when you use them for a pre-workout meal, how long before training do you take them? Generally like an hour or like maybe less than that, like a half an hour. Yeah. Cause my morning routine, generally I, I wake up, I have a cup of co- coffee. Um, I'll wait like, you know, an hour after I wake up to have my first meal. And then generally like after I eat that first meal and I get that out of the way, then I'll, I'll head to the gym. So by the time I'm actually like hitting the weights, it's probably like been like a half an hour to 45 minutes. So intermittent fasting is not something that you do. Um, 
I try to, well, I try to practice like time restricted eating. So I try, I try not to eat anything for the first hour or two of the morning. And then I generally will try not to eat for two to three hours before bed. Um, I don't think that there's anything like magical per se about it, but um, I do track the research on like circadian biology. You know, we're diurnal creatures. So I don't think that we're meant to eat super late at night. Um, we have these internal time setters, the primary one being in our brain. We have a, a little structure in the hypothalamus called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, and it's very sensitive to light. So, you know, getting light first thing in the morning when you wake up, super, super important. Can you, well, can we just, can I, uh, yeah. so that, I, I do a lot of shit in the morning. Um, I don't make that a priority for, mm. for myself. Can we talk about that one real yeah, quick? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it doesn't have to be like bright, like, an, you know, like the LA sun, like, like pouring into your windows, even on an overcast day, there's enough light in terms of like lux, light intensity coming through the cloud cover that can, that basically like anchors your, that basically like it sets off a 24 hour timer that we've, you know, we've co-evolved with light over millennia. And so we have these cells in our eyes that have a protein called melanopsin, which was discovered in part by Sachin Panda, who's down at Salk, at the Salk Institute in La Jolla, California, who you know I'm, I've become friends with and I've had him on my podcast a bunch of times. And these proteins are, they're not super sensitive. So for example, like, you know, if your, if your brain registered that it was daytime with exposure to a bright moon, right? The light from the mm -hmm. moon, that would have disturbed our circadian rhythm you know, way prior to the advent of artificial lights, right? Campfire, for example. Campfire doesn't perturb your natural circadian clock. But the ambient light from the sun is strong enough to do that. And it doesn't have to be a super bright day. It can be, you know, there can be cloud cover. You don't have to look at the sun, just like opening up a window. Um, and what that does is it basically like flips the switch for those melanopsin proteins. And that communicates with this like really primordial region of the brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which then interfaces with every organ system in the body to be on time, essentially, you know, like a, like a German train in accordance with all of its very many functions throughout the day. So like we're meant to eat generally like during the day, we're not like, we're not nocturnal, we're diurnal. And so, you know, first thing in the morning, that's when like peristalsis kicks up, like the, the, the transit of contents through our stomach, right? That's why most people tend to go to the bathroom in the morning, right? Our metabolism is firing on all cylinders during the day because during the day is when we're meant to be most active because we have light, right? Mm. Um, so it's like when we're when our ancestors would have foraged, when we would have gotten stuff done, right? As hunter-gatherers, not at not during the night. So if you had to describe the habit in, in, a, in a best practice, yeah. what would that look like? As soon as you can after waking, you want to expose your eyes to bright light. For how so, long? well, it's cumulative. So if you just go to the window and you open up your blinds and you just like look outside for 10, 20, 30 seconds, I mean, that is enough. That's enough to like wake you up. And through the glass, it's all good? Through the glass, it's all good. Why did I hear yeah. that through the glass is no bueno? <laughs> like, like the glass deters the, the effect. There's a lot, I think there's a lot of misinformation um, on social media with this, you know, with, with topics that are as complex as this. But it's like, you know, we know that our circadian rhythms can be perturbed by exposure to bright light from our devices, 
right? When they're like flush up against our faces and like big, big screen TVs and the like, and through like artificial lights, which come from light bulbs, which have to pass through the glass of the bulb, right? So for us to recognize that, but then not think that we're getting adequate light through our windows doesn't make any sense from the standpoint of logic, right? So yeah, it's, it's as long as it's like sufficiently bright, that's the primary variable. And then that you're getting like the full spectrum and that there's like that short wavelength blue light coming through as well. Mm. And so how, does that fit into your daily routine? Do you do that pretty much every day to make sure that that's like a, a priority? Yeah. I mean, I don't have a commute. I work from home. And so when I wake up in the morning, I open up my blinds and it floods my room with light. And I don't have like direct exposure to the sun, but it's just like the ambient light of the day is bright enough to essentially, you know, anchor my anchor, so to speak, my circadian rhythm. And then I try to, in the morning, spend as much, do as, as many things as I can with exposure to either windows or, you know, like my morning routine usually these days I actually walk to a, a local coffee shop and I get like a iced coffee or something. And so like that, it's just, it's again, it's all cumulative. So it's like that 30 to 45 second, like light exposure immediately upon waking. And then the five minute walk to the local coffee stop shop, like that's all totally sufficient and you don't have to go nuts about it. You know, the one caveat I'll add is if you're like in your car, driving to work, you want to make sure that you're not wearing sunglasses. And if you can keep your windows open because, you know, the, the cover of the roof generally tends to like make it a bit dimmer in the car than it would be like in a room with an open window. But yeah, I try to, I try to like, you know, cause it also affects your sleep the thought like that night. Mm-hmm. So if you want your sleep to be good, we have to recognize that good sleep hygiene actually begins in the morning. And this is all like part of that equation. What up, podcast fam? I am interrupting this episode to quickly remind you that Creatures of Habit is no longer just an instant or overnight high-protein oatmeal company. We are now a full-system wake-up-to-wind-down habit company. Start your day with meal one, which a lot of you already do. And now, of course, we're a few weeks into the launch of Nightcap, which is a sleep support elixir that is an unbelievably delicious cup of hot chocolate with amazing ingredients that are going to help you relax, fall, and stay asleep. So start your day with meal one, finish with nightcap, start strong, finish strong, stay strong, back to the show. Morning routine is such a, a big part of my life. Like I, I have adopted all the things. I just have. That is certainly not for everyone. I don't think it's like my morning routine is important that everybody p- takes note of and fucking does. Yeah. I do it. Because I genuinely appreciate it and love it. Like it's a it's a long process that I do every morning before my family gets up, and I love doing it. I just mm. love doing it. A lot of people, even specifically now, more so than like as you know, all these things were happening over the last three years: infrared and red light and fucking sauna and cold plunge and journaling and meditating. It's like too all much. Of it. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot, right? I don't. I think you know, for for a guy like me, who is like a structure maniac. I just ha- I just am. I need to like for some reason I I really do just enjoy that stuff. However, I do not think that that is necessary. Yeah. I just don't. I really don't. And and like if I don't feel like doing it, I won't. Yeah. You know? But I would say 4 to 7 4 to 7 days a week I do because the truth is is that stacking those habits in the morning really do make me feel like impenetrable throughout the day. 
If, if can we just can you just walk us through what your morning routine looks like, and if you've and if you've either enhanced it or diminished it over the last three years? Yeah, I mean, but you bring up a really important point that I feel like there are a lot of people in the in the health and wellness fitness ancestral nutrition space that like to make it seem as though you have to do 1500 things every day to be healthy. And that's just not true. So you can't, I mean, we always like to say you can't major in the minors. And that's why like when it comes to like a really specific, like number, like, like a prescription in terms of like how much time you should spend outside with the exact amount of lux that you need to get in through your eyes. Like, I think that's just like, splitting hairs, you know? I mean, as long as you're like spending some time as soon as you wake up, like around a window, you know, like I think that's that's fairly sufficient. And then, you know, exercise, all the things that we always talk about, exercise, like get, you know, make sure that your sleep is good, eat a healthful diet. I mean, it's like, you can obviously get more granular the more obsessive you wanna be about these things. And like, I know like you, people like me, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are like happy to be obsessive about this stuff because we're passionate about it. But for your average person, I also think it's really important to like talk about the low hanging fruit. Like what? Give us a low hanging fruit. Yeah, I mean like for me, from a, from a dietary standpoint, I mean, the, the more I, the more I learn, the, the less inclined I am to want to like even talk about single nutrients, like both from a, from a potential harm standpoint and also from a like benefit standpoint, as long as you're, you're minimizing your consumption of ultra processed foods, like that's like the, that is like that, that's the, that's the dark zone. And I if think, you can stay away from the darkness, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. And even, <laughs> and even within that, you know, there are some ultra processed foods that are not terrible, right? Like whey protein in a way is like a, like an, I wouldn't necessarily call it an ultra processed food, but it's not something that most people are going to be able to make in their kitchens. Um, but generally like most, most of the, like, you know, the, the, the diet that your average person today is consuming is by and large self shelf stable packaged ultra processed foods that are nutrient depleted, um, you know, minimally satiating, highly calorie dense. And so if you can minimize your consumption of those and like shop around the perimeter of the supermarket and base your diet around whole foods, I don't care if you lean more plant-based, I don't care if you lean more carnivore, low carb, high carb, like, I mean, the, the diet wars on social media are just exhausting. And like, <laughs> there's a certain point where you know, I, even I get like, just like burnt out from it, you know? And I think like most people just like minimize the ultra processed foods. And there's like a, there's like, there's legit like wars going on right now. There's, oh yeah. There, like there are people that are out there truly trying to sabotage those who eat meat. Yeah. Specifically. I try not to engage. I mean, I see the missiles flying overhead, <laughs> like from my, from my vantage point, but every time I go on a podcast, you know, no matter what, like I get like haters because nutrition is like such a tribalistic thing. You know, I advocate for a diet that, that I'm unapologetic in the fact that like, I think meat can be extremely healthy and plants can be extremely healthy. And like the optimal diet in my view is an omnivorous diet, right? Like that's not rocket science. And that's a very middle of the road stance to take. But these days, when you say something like that, you're pissing off everybody, right? You're pissing off like the carnivores, you're pissing off the vegans. You know, what's interesting. So I have heart disease all over my family. Hmm. My father had two major heart attacks and seven smaller heart attacks before he died at a young age. Now he was a juvenile diabetic and he had a bunch of other things going on, or I guess they would call it a type one diabetic now. Both my father and my grandfather had pacemakers. 
my mother's side of the family, heart disease everywhere. So obviously I'm concerned, you know, I'm, I, I'm in my early forties and the way I live my life, I shouldn't be concerned based on my exercise commitment and my nutrition commitment. However, I, you know, I've been told that like, I need to just be mindful of it. So I recently did something with wild health. You know, I, I did the wild health thing and I got my DNA, um, my DNA back and they suggested that I do a calcium uh, scan, calcium CT scan. I was terrified. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was fucking really scared. I can imagine. Now, I eat, and this is something that I'm unabashedly like down to talk about. I eat red meat, bison, venison that I harvest on myself, lean beef, grass-fed, grass-finished, Three days, four days a week. I really do believe in 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 uh, in high quality meat, red meat. But of course, when I'm told, okay, man, you're you're 42 years old, it's time to go get a CT scan on your heart. You know, your dad, your mom, the, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm scared. I got my CT calcium scan, and I saw the doctor's number in my phone like three or four days after I got the scan, and. I'm like, I'm scared at this point. You know, I was really, I wasn't really nervous about the, about it. But when I saw the number, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready for it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. And they told me that I had zero calcium in any artery in my heart, that I have a heart of like a, you know, 18 year old. Amazing. And it was one of the most amazing feelings, you know, knowing that like the stuff that we talk about um, often in the world of health and wellness is really it really works because by normal standards I should have calcium and and stuff in my heart based on the genetics in my family, but I, I take really good care of myself and 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 I've been able to to break the chain. Mm. You know, I love that. And like so, the the this you know I'm not saying for everyone, but the things that we hear about like meat and cholesterol and you know like for years and years and years. I could just say that from my experience, my personal experience, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not talking about anybody else's experience, but I'm telling you from my personal experience, I eat red meat three to four days a week, great quality red meat. I exercise a lot. I, I eat predominantly vegetables and complex carbohydrates and I don't overthink it. Hmm. I just don't, man, you know? So like if, if you had to, if there was like, five things that you consistently eat in your diet like what 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 are they or in your in your your like if you were to open up max lugavere's fridge <laughs> what would be in there regularly yeah, yeah i mean i'm a huge fan of of red meat i mean i and i and i eat like lean red meat like i think um you know it's interesting like the the dogma for the past few decades where it's been fat is bad fat makes you fat saturated fat is clogging your arteries like it's led to the pendulum swinging in the other direction where for you know a, a good couple of years like high fat was in where it's like let's just eat all the fatty cuts of meat and like put butter on everything did you do that you know i think i probably did for a little bit um there was probably a window where i was like a little bit more cavalier with like my my fat consumption and to be to be transparent like i'm not i'm you know i think fat we need fat like fat is good um but i i do think that it's like evolutionarily inconsistent to eat excess fatty meat right like wild game like you talked about bison you talked about venison wild game is like very lean right 
like a cow is a man-made creation and a grain-fed cow you know after it's come through the uh the the factory farm system it's like it's fattier than like the vast majority of meat and any of our ancestors would have consumed at any given time and so yeah i'm of the opinion that red meat is is a health food but like i don't think it it should be excessively fatty so like i buy grass-fed um, ground beef all the time from the supermarket and i buy 90 to 93 percent lean and that's more than enough fat like you know in that in that package and i'm happy with it it tastes great I'm prioritizing protein. It's it's super satiating. I know that I'm getting all of the many micronutrients that are found in beef, and I'm benefiting from that. Um, so yeah, so I'm a huge fan of of red meat, and of course I eat like ribeyes. You know, like on occasion, I love a good ribeye. Right. Um, to me, it says a lot that a grass fed, grass finished piece of beef is leaner than a grass-fed grain finished piece of beef that says something you know like when a cow is fed an aberrant diet it's fattier so to me that very clearly indicates the relative proportion of fats that we're meant to to ingest right like it's got a grass-fed grass-finished cow has less fat less saturated fat higher levels of stearic acid which is neutral from a cardiovascular standpoint if not if not healthy um, and so, yeah, so I'm a huge fan of, of grass-fed, grass-finished red meat. And then also I think it's important to, to point out that like if you can't access grass-fed, grass-finished red meat, just get like leaner beef. Like, you know, I don't like to support the factory farm system because it's horrible in so many ways, but like it's still a very nutrient-dense food, especially in the in the context of the standard American diet where your average person is is consuming 60% by calories ultra-processed foods. So what's your take on chicken? I'm a fan. Like chicken breast is great. It's a super lean protein source. I've also been on a bit of like a like a cutting journey for the past couple of months. So I'm eating a little bit differently than I would normally eat right now. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of of chicken. Are you tracking? You know, I'm tracking occasionally. I I I didn't track for the majority of this period. So since January, I've been on like a cutting phase, and I didn't track um, for the first like three months. But uh, I heard somebody say, you know, like nobody guesses their way to 9% body fat, you know, like, so my, my whole shtick is that you shouldn't tracking is a, is a totally great tool. And, and if you, and if tracking works for you and it, and it doesn't create an obsessive relationship with food, then by all means keep doing it. But I, I think that there's enough data, um, to support my, my, you know, central hypothesis that like, you really shouldn't need to track to be at a healthy body weight, you know, when you account for, when you, when you really are optimizing for food quality, right? Like if you're eating like perishable fresh foods, like those foods are going to be more satiating. And we see this from data mm -hmm. from the NIH, like, and the guys from Mind Pump talk about this all the time. This is a, there was a seminal study that showed that like when people consume ultra processed foods, they tend to eat at a, they tend to eat excess calories, you know? When, and you know, when um, crossed over to like a, a minimally processed diet, they came in effortlessly at like a calorie deficit. So food quality dictates food quantity, you know? Um, and so for the first couple of months of my cut where I saw the most progress, I wasn't tracking. And, uh, and what I did was I basically just like, I dropped the, the, the primary macronutrient that I cut was actually dietary fat. And the reason for that is that so it wasn't a low fat diet you need fat you need fat to absorb fat soluble vitamins you need fat to optimize your hormones and you need fat to also prevent gallstones so fat is not bad but 
it's very, um, it's very calorie dense, obviously. So the first thing I did was I cut out like the excess, like, well, I cut out all of the added fats. So the oils and I swapped a lot of my, the dairy, um, that I was eating for low fat or fat free dairy. And so right off the bat, I mean, when you're optimizing for satiety and you're cutting out those, those super dense sources of calories, you realize that a tablespoon of oil has the same amount of calories as an, as a whole apple. And the apple is way more satiating than the tablespoon of oil. It's crazy how many calories a tablespoon of oil has. Same, yeah. Same 140 amount of, calories. Yeah. And, and I didn't cut my carbs too much because I think most people would like look at me and my, and my work and be like, oh, so did you do like a low carb diet? But I didn't because we know that the best way to keep your muscle when you're cutting is you got to have great workouts. You got to like keep going to the gym and working out intensely. Don't assume that you're going to get weaker. And so carbs are what fuel your workouts, right? So to me, this, it was just very clear that like, if I want to like lose some body fat, I got to cut some dietary fat. And that's what I did. And for the first three months, like it just like melted off. Yeah. I also think that, you know, from my experience in the bodybuilding arena, like, you know, when you, if you're trying to figure out a way to, to decrease, cause, cause at the end of the day too, it is a calorie thing, right? Like, yeah. I, I I mean, I know that there's a lot of controversy on calorie in, calorie out, right? There is, it's like, and I don't even think we should get into that. But at the end of the day, right, like a gram of fat is nine calories in comparison to a gram of protein or carbohydrate, which is four calories. It's literally more than double the amount of calories per gram. So it's a lot, right? So yeah. if you take out, if you cut 10 grams of fat, you're now, you're, you're, you know, like that's, that's a hundred calories a day that you can easily just like whoop. And that's less than a tablespoon of olive oil. There you go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's, it's pretty wild to really think about that. Um, however, I will say that in cutting, like severely cutting for like a bodybuilding show, which 0% of people actually do. Yeah. Um, it does come predominantly from Pro, uh, carbohydrates and fat. Like when I'm there, yeah. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm super, super low. Mm. The other thing that I think is important to talk about is the, the, the term shredded. Yeah. Shredded is, is like a really, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a totally misleading, um, term. All right. Dudes are like, Oh, I want to get shredded. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a miserable place to exist. Yeah. First of all, you're, you look small in clothing. You don't feel your best. Um, I want to be super clear. First of all, this is not my area of expertise. So I'm, I'm learning on the go and I'm not a bodybuilder, but like, but I've learned a lot. And, um, and the other thing is you're totally right. And for me, this wasn't about, you know, I didn't want to lose body fat for a health. It wasn't a health goal. Like I was already healthy at 15% body fat. Like the, for a man to be anywhere between 10 and 20% body fat, like you're good. You know, it was literally just like a mental, challenge that I, you know, that I gave myself to see if I could do it. Cause I've actually never been, I've never been anywhere. I don't think even near 10% body fat. Well, so, you look awesome. Thanks man. But I don't, I feel better with a little bit more, you know, with, with more body fat. And I think this is probably like an experiment that's going to run for another like two weeks or so. Um, and then I'll go back to my normal way of eating, which is like, you know, higher fat and, and whatever, you know, less focused on calories and all that stuff. You know, I, I think tracking macros, you, you may, you mentioned earlier tracking. If, if you be, if you become obsessed, yeah. if you're an obsessive person, it's not a good thing, right? No. I agree. However, anybody who tracks macros is obsessed. Right. So like there's a difference between 
setting a goal, like having a real goal and being like, okay, well, I, in order to hit this goal, I need to know what I'm putting in the, in the tank. Yeah. You know, like I need to know what I'm putting in the tank. And the, the, it's so interesting for me to go from bodybuilding, which for me was awesome and fun, but I was totally obsessed, like mm. 100%. I was obsessed to now go from bodybuilding, which is like eating for aesthetic to CrossFit, which I'm doing now and hopefully starting a new career in that fun sport that I love, um, eating for performance, which is like, could not be more different, Yeah, you know? could not be more different. Like if I ate the way I was eating for bodybuilding for CrossFit, there'd be no, sh- no shot, I'd have no shot, hmm. you know? And I have to be comfortable at 15 to 16% body fat, you know? Like I, I'm, and I'm not there yet. Like I'm still battling to get there. Cause like, it's like, I am, it's a, it's a mental, it's a, it's a mental thing to, to, be able to, you know, at my height, if I want to be competitive, I need to be 185 to 190 pounds to be able to lift the weight in order to compete with the guys that are my age, my, my size. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes total sense. I mean, my background is really nutrition for longevity and, and I'm a big food quality person and I never track and tracking is like not part of like my DNA, I feel like. Um, and, and, you know, so like I've been able to like lift and maintain like a, a, a lean, I mean, you're still lean at 15%, like, and 16% to like, you know, like I've with just focusing on, on, on really, on, on really satiating high quality foods, you know, I've always prioritized protein and I don't, I've never tracked protein, but I, I have always in my head kept a running estimate of how much protein I've eaten over the course of the day. Like mm-hmm. that's just generally like. And it's actually, it's to be honest, it's not even a number. It's like, am I prioritizing protein at every meal? You know, and I snack on protein, and like, I generally just I focus on protein, right? Um. So yeah, so this has been, it's just been like a really interesting like f- flip of the switch for me, you know, like to kind of like toggle my nutrition in a, in, a, in a different way, you know. And then I think like after I do this for myself, just to like have so that I could so that I could speak to it, and so that in my back pocket I know that I'll always have this skill. Um, I'm going to go back to my like normal way of eating where I don't track anything, you know? You know what I think is, is, is kind of fun to mention for anyone listening. If you've never tracked before, yeah, I don't, I don't think tracking is a sustainable way to live. Oh, well, actually I should reframe that. It's not a sustainable way to live your life comfortably. It's not a comfortable way to live at fucking weighing out every single thing you eat. It's just, it's just yeah. not right. It's like who it's really, it's really, a, a, it's, it's really annoying for everybody that that's around you. It becomes obsessive yeah. and, and, and honestly develops like disorders. However, I will say that tracking for a month, like challenging yourself to say, you know what, I'm going to try this for a month, tracking for a month. And then at the end of that month, you stop. The cool thing about it is you learn so much. Like we all think we know how much we're eating, right? And then when it, when when actually the rubber meets the road and you're like, all right, I'm going to just continue doing what I'm doing except I'm going to track it now. Yeah. Like you learn a lot. The cool thing about doing that as well is that like you can also like now you like I don't track anymore. I hope to never track again. Not that I have anything against it. It's just I did it for so long and it was like it became a problem for me. You know, mm. like breaking away from it 
was is was almost harder than breaking into it. Interesting. You know? And so, the, but what I will say now is that like, I know what five ounces of protein is. I know exactly what six ounces of, 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 of broccoli, asparagus, and zucchini looks like. <laughs> yeah, you, you know? got to get really granular when you're like a, an actual bodybuilder. Yeah, but like the cool, the, the cool thing is, is if you, if you challenge yourself to do it for a month, it actually will teach you a lot. And it's a month of, month of, of, of a self-educational experiment yes. that is really cool. And so, you know, like sitting down to eat a 12-ounce piece of steak is like totally unnecessary, right? On a regular basis. And most restaurants will, will like the steak is like 10 to 12 ounces. Oh man, <laughs> I'm getting hungry. <laughs> but like, it's just, you don't need it, right? You don't need it. It's like five ounces of, of chicken breast is like 48 grams of protein. Yeah, you're right. And if you eat an eight or 10 ounce chicken breast, like one of the big mamas, which a lot of people are just like, oh, it's chicken breast. You just inhaled a hundred grams of protein. Yeah. 50 grams is gonna actually get like utilized and then 50 grams is metabolized as, as sugar and, and be stored as fat pretty mm. much, you know? And so, and I could be wrong there. You're you're this expert on that, but like, is, isn't that like something to, to be mindful of? Well, I think ultimately, as long as you're, well, yeah, you there's no, there's no benefit to consuming more than say one gram of protein per pound of body weight. So, I mean, if you're consuming, if you're, if you like me, you know, started at 190 pounds and are consuming 300 grams of protein every day, there's no point in doing that. You should probably be getting more carbs to fuel your workouts and more, you know, like where, where are your carbs and fats coming from, you know? Mm. Um, generally like, you know, if you're, but also this idea that like your body's not going to utilize protein if you consume too much of it in one meal, at one meal, that's something that I don't think is really a, uh, a viable concern because like, first of all, you digest food s slowly, you know, more slowly. So those you'll get like, you know, it's not like a chicken breast and for example, whey protein digest at the same rate, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're going to be digesting that over a period of time. You know, gluconeogenesis is like a demand-driven process. Mm -hmm. So, if you're eating carbs, like I wouldn't be too concerned about the liver, like creating creating carbohydrate from or creating sugar rather from that uh, from that protein. But um, but no, I mean, yeah, you just generally like the recommendation is 0.72 to about one gram of protein per pound of body weight is like the optimal range. You don't want to go too far below 0.7 if you're a weight training individual. Mm. It's more accurate to, to speak in terms of kilograms, even though we don't, we don't use kilograms as much in the United States. It's, it's 1.6 to 2.2 uh, grams per kilogram of body weight is the general, like what you see in the literature, you know, as like the, as like the, the range for like optimal protein intake. I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit and, and get into some routine stuff. Yeah. You, 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 you breezed pie your, your morning routine, but can you just walk us through your morning routine? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I wake up, I drink some water. I drink like spring water, you know, I get, I get like delivered to my house, like this, uh, mountain Valley spring water, which, um, no affiliation, but like it's got electrolytes in it. And then generally after that, I mean, I think it's, I think like my routine lately has been, I walk to a local coffee store coffee shop. So it, it, it achieves three things for me. One, it allows me to get outside soon after waking up for that bright ambient light. Two, I get some steps in and just some general movement, which is good for digestion, you know, at a time of day when peristalsis is really firing up. 
And then three, I get that coffee, which I know, you know, there's a lot of benefits to consuming coffee. It's a, one of the top sources of polyphenols. It's um, allegedly, or, or apparently rather, great for your cardiovascular system, um, great for neurological health, which is important to me. And so, yeah, so I'm a huge fan of coffee. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that's like, you know, the first thing I do. And then um, generally my coffee... These days I drink it black, but for but under most circumstances I'll put some heavy cream in it, which to me it's like adding a you're adding a little bit of fat, you are slowing down the absorption of caffeine, um, which you know when you drink black coffee on an empty stomach it's like it can make you more prone to jitters and and the like just because it's like so quickly absorbed. So adding some fat, fat slows down what's called gastric emptying. So generally I'll put some heavy cream in there. And it's also, you know, heavy cream increases the, the bioavailability of coffee polyphenols because polyphenols are fat soluble and, and typically polyphenols are pretty poorly absorbed. Um, but you do to some degree increase like bioavailability when you consume coffee. How much cream do you put in? I do like a tablespoon, which is like a, about a, you know, 100 calories worth of fat, I think roughly somewhere in that ballpark. And heavy cream is a great source of vitamin K2. So on, in its own right, for a fat, it's a pretty nutrient-dense fat. You've got like vitamin A, you've got vitamin K2. Um, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a huge fan. And then I generally will wait an hour after I wake up to like eat, you know, food. And um, part of the reason why I do that is I think there's a, there is a circadian like rationale. For the first half an hour to 45 minutes after waking, your, your cortisol pattern is like, your cortisol is the highest that it's gonna be throughout the day. And so what cortisol does is it's like liberating stored fuels. So you're like using some of that stored sugar in your liver, you're oxidizing fat, um, which, you know, ultimately fat loss is, is about energy balance, but you're still like, you're still, cortisol is like the body's chief catabolic hormone. So you're just like liberating all these like stored fuels so that you can get up and seize the day. And so after that kind of subsides, um, then actually I start to get a little hungry. And also I think consistent meal times is, is, is fairly important as well. And that's when I'll, I'll generally eat something unless I'm doing like a fasted workout. But these days, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm enjoying like pre-workout carbs. So, you know, whether it's like creatures of habit, uh, meal one or, um, like a scramble, uh, you know, I love to eat eggs in the morning, um, yeah, generally, like that's when I'll then I'll, I'll break my fast with like a small, you know, small meal, getting a good bolus of protein, you know, moderate source of of, of slow burning carbohydrates, and then soon after that I'll head to the gym, and that's when I like I, I work out. You know, I just find that like midday workouts. I've I've I work out midday, you know, sometimes, but like when I'm like digesting like bigger meals, and I just don't feel as like limber, you mm-hmm. know. So I really like to like hit it first thing in the morning. Are you doing strength training or a mix of strength and cardio? Primarily strength training. Yeah. I do like, um, strength training and I will like walk on the treadmill. You know, I think walking is amazing. I don't, I hate running every once in a while. I'll get like out there. I'll have like a spurt where I'll like start running, but generally like it just, it doesn't feel great. Like in my body to run, like I've got like low back issues and just the impact, you know, it's just not something that like that I've ever really been able to like sustain. But um, but walking to me is amazing. It's mm. like super low impact. The reward to agony ratio with walking is amazing. You know, with running, you get high reward, 
but there's the agony is like also way higher. So the the ratio, <laughs> you know, like the 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 reward to agony ratio with walking to me is like through the roof. Mm. You're doing all that. You're burning. You're burning fat. You're you know moving lymph fluid around your body. You're you know you're using sugar in your blood. You're reducing triglycerides. You're I mean, there's like so much. It's like it's totally sustainable. You can do it for a long time. It's a great opportunity to listen to podcasts. Do you walk at an incline or just flat? Yeah, I put it typically at like anywhere between like four and six, and I will, I'll walk for like at like a setting of three point two. Sometimes I'll bring it up to like three point five, but I don't kill myself. That's the whole point. Is like it's sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's got to be sustainable. Yeah, you know. Um, and yeah, it's like that zone two training, which I think there's you know there's research coming out on on the benefits of that that's all the cardio i did um in bodybuilding just walking period yeah uphill walking that's it well and the other thing about about cardio when you're cutting like um which which i've been doing is i feel so i feel so cool i feel like well, like one of the boys when i say that i'm cutting you know <laughs> <laughs> um but no i'm gonna you know i i definitely like um i want to like put on some mass like after I get done with this phase. But um, the thing about the thing about you really want to like train intensely. And if you're doing like hardcore cardio, you're just depleting your energy, like which is in limited supply anyway, like during a cutting phase, much better off putting that towards strength training and then just freaking walking, you know, like it's so easy. And like, it's so funny yesterday or two days ago, I posted about um, someone had asked me, you know, about cardio before or after training. And I just very, very definitively said, um, I would never do cardio before training. Like it doesn't make, if you, if strength training or resistance training is part of your, like if that is what you're doing, um, cardio is only going to like potentially support some, some fat loss and so, and movement, right? Like general movement. Yeah. But if you are doing strength training, that should be the, you should be putting every ounce of energy towards that because that is just consistently proven to be one of the greatest things that we can do as we get older, right? Strength training for muscle development, bone yep. density, all those things, right? Yep. It's sustainable if you don't like absolutely kill yourself every single time you do it. Like it's something that you can do for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and the amount of shit I got from people being like, Oh, it's totally personal, and but and I'm and 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 the truth is, is that like if you were to go into the gym and have a leg day, but start your leg day with a thirty-minute stairmaster, it would just completely detract minimum twenty-five to thirty percent from the energies you could be putting towards your leg day. Hundred percent. I mean, I get like a a five-minute warm-up, mm-hmm. maybe you know, um, but. Like, yeah, to kill yourself on cardio and then and then to fool yourself into thinking you're going to be able to go and put as much into your weight training as you would without the cardio, I, I think that that's probably delusional. You know, like I, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but yeah, resistance training is amazing. There was a new meta-analysis that came out that found that resistance training is very effective for also reducing hypertension, mm. which is like high blood pressure, which, you know, most of the time we think about aerobic like cardio, right for for that for that purpose, um, but they found that moderate to vigorous weight training twice a week for people with hypertension, it's like medicine, you know, 
can help bring your blood pressure down. I mean, we know that like it goes up when you work out. Same with inflammation, right? Like it goes up, but then ultimately like it brings your baseline down. Mm. And so, um, and so, yeah, I mean, resistance training to me is like, it's, it's a, it's crucially important. You know, there's so few things available to human beings that can benefit both mental and physical in such a significant way. Yeah. Do it take doing one thing and have equal, uh, outcome ramifications for both your mental and physical health. It's like, it's so hard to find some things that are, that, that can actually generate that kind of outcome, you know? Yeah. That do so, because that's the, I mean, that's the amazing thing about exercise is like, it works all of these different pathways, you know, like every, every single pathway that there is like in the body, like it's a, it strengthens all of them. It's like the tide that lifts all the boats. Compare that to like a drug, you know, like, like, a, a monotherapy molecule that you might get from your pharmacy that like works on one pathway that we've identified, you know, um, exercise strengthens the entirety of the system. That's why it's so good for you. It's like medicine. Well, I think, you know, when you really sort of peel back the onion, we were designed to exercise period, right? Yeah. Like, like for a hundred thousand years, uh, anything that we wanted in life had to be done manually. If, you know, however long we've been standing on two feet, like only in the last, you know, 150 years has it been, um, has things been handed to us on a platter? Every Everything else was sort of like, you had to work for it. You had to move for it. You wanted food, you had to garden for it. You had to, you had to, you had to, to, to harvest it. You wanted to communicate with somebody that lived, you know, <laughs> like in a mile away, like the only yeah. way to get there was the only way to do it was to walk, you know, or run, um, you know, all these things. So like prime, prime, like our primal instinct is to move. And, um, and I also believe that that is why movement is so rewarding because inherently that is like accomplishment for so many thousands of years for us, right? Like you, you spent a day building something or hunting or, or harvesting or whatever it was, that was like, that's the win. Like it's not the fancy car, it's not the house, it's not like the accolade, it's not, it's like, no, 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 like I like, I, I movement was, 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 was money. Yeah. Know? And it's like a it's like a major like when you have that relationship with fitness when it's your lifestyle it's like a it's like it's a major like anchor point in your life that 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 benefits all of like every every other area in your life benefits when you have that as like the foundation you know I mean some people might say also having like a spiritual foundation like all that stuff is great but like for me it's really been like exercise like you know the fact that like I'm just so it's, it's always been there for me whenever I've had periods of, of self doubt or when I've had anxiety about life or work or when I've been depressed. Um, I've always had that. And, uh, and I feel very lucky. I feel very like blessed in a way. I'm not a religious person, but that, that I've been able to identify that I was able to identify, um, the benefits that I received from exercise so early on and that it's been such a mainstay in my life for so many years. Mm. Um, it really is like, I love it. I, I've, I've, I've been like obsessed with lifting. I wish I had better genetics to be honest. Cause like, I feel like, you know, I'd be stronger or whatever, or I, I maybe, you know, could have actually been like, it's probably a good thing that I, that I 
didn't make it a profession, but, um, but no, I've, I've just always like loved it, you know? And, um, and yeah, and it benefits, it's spill, it has like this spillover effect where, you know, it lifts my confidence in every other area of life. So if you had to advise someone who was listening to this podcast and kind of lost, would you say that movement's probably the first thing that they should, or some sort of exercise is the first thing that they should delve into? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, don't feel like you have to like bite off more than you can chew and, and sign up for a gym, you know, membership and, and like go balls to the wall overnight. Cause that's generally like, you know, you're not going to be able to sustain that. And it's really important to build a solid aerobic base and to learn the, learn the practice of weightlifting. Like, you know, I've been doing this for, I mean, now it's been like 20 something years, if not more. And, um, and I'm still like learning like to do, like, I'm, I'm still tweaking my form in, in moves that I've been doing for 20 years and like, and, and, and continually establishing like a better, better mind muscle connection. So, I mean, you're like always learning, but you don't want to injure yourself. So, I mean, you you do want to take the time to make sure that you're not just like diving head first, uh, without doing the appropriate due due diligence. And yeah, I think movement is a great starting place. Like just walking a little bit more, you know, for some people that are, that, that feel hopeless, like just, just taking a, a daily walk around the block is like a big hurdle. Huge. Yeah. And, um, and, but a, a beneficial one. There's a, there's a documentary that I saw that I truly, truly loved. Like, I think it was one of the better documentaries in a long time, but it, Jonah Hill did a documentary called Stutz. Oh, on his, so good. Dude. And, yeah. and, and the coolest thing about it is I've been talking about this for so long, right? Like, if you feel lost, if you feel like there's, you know, total like uncertain uncertainty is like eating at your soul look inside in terms of like go back to the basics like start moving start moving because you can find enormous gratitude and you can find absolute wins completely in your control by just incorporating movement like on a regular basis into your life it saved my life movement a hundred percent. When I got sober, I was introduced to fitness uh, or reintroduced to fitness. Uh, you know, I was an athlete as a kid, but like when I got sober, these two guys really took me under their wing. They, 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 they walked me over to a Muay Thai kickboxing gym and they were like, this is what you're going to do now. Mm. <laughs> and it saved my life. Wow. F- like full blown. And, um, and so I, I, I'm so passionate about you know, nutrition obviously is super important in, in, in longevity and health and performance. And, you know, if you have goals, aesthetically lose weight, whatever. But I will say that like, I think a life without movement, if you are listening to this podcast and you are not exercising in some way, like you said, it could be a fucking walk around the block. It could be a mile run. It could be, um, you know, sitting on a, on a stationary bike, like any kind of movement is going to activate confidence in some way, shape or form. Definitely. And confidence is ultimately going to equate to happiness. Yeah. And I think taking the time to learn about fitness, I mean, is, is really important. Like, you know, a lot of people like will, they'll go to the gym and, and I see this in my own gym. I see people who I just like internally, I try, I try not to be judgmental, but like, you know, every day they're just doing curls and their form is like really terrible and they're swinging their arms up, you know, and it's, there's less of an excuse today than they're, than there 
has been in the past to just go blindly into, you know, into a fitness kind of environment and to not equip yourself with the knowledge because it's the knowledge is out there. You know, it's like we live in a time where the most important conversations of our time are happening on podcasts and YouTube. I mean, there's, there are so many brilliant people on YouTube, like evidence-based fitness practitioners who are just like pouring out free knowledge. And, um, and I think it's an, an incredible time for agency, for, for self-empowerment. And, um, and that's, you know, what I've obviously dedicated my life to. I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself like one of a, you know, like a, a fitness educator necessarily, but, um, but yeah, I mean, like there's, there's no time like the present to arm yourself with knowledge and then to act on that knowledge. What does your evening routine look like? Your wind down routine? Well, I try to stop eating for two to three hours before I go to sleep. And so like in a perfect world for me, I'm cooking my own food and I'm, I'm making something really healthy for myself. And I'm maybe watching a, you know, a show that I really like that's stimulating, that, that creatively gets my gears turning. But also that sometimes doesn't jive with uh, social obligations. And, and I think we have to prioritize social connection, right? Like I'm, I spend a lot of time with my brothers who I'm very lucky they live near me. Um, or, or my friends. And so, you know, an equally perfect evening for me is going out to dinner with like friends and, 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 and socializing. We know that there's that, that social connection is like, is another form of medicine. And that conversely social isolation is essentially a toxin as bad as smoking cigarettes. Worse, no? Yeah. I mean, there was this like Harvard study, this longitudinal Harvard study that I think it's like ongoing for 80 years now where they found longest human study, the longest human study. Yeah. I had the guy, one of the, one of the researchers on that study now, Robert Waldinger on my, on my show. And I was like blown away. Um, yeah. And so you definitely don't want to, that's one of the, one of the costs that comes from like becoming so obsessive about fitness and body composition that you really do end up losing, you know, missing out on all these like important social opportunities. So for me, those are crucially important, and I try to prioritize those as much as I can. And then, yeah, my I mean, my winding down ritual is I try to minimize my exposure to screens. I have red light bulbs in my house, like in my bedroom, which make my bedroom look like a strip club at night, you know, which... <laughs> Get, you know, depending on the context may or may not be may, may or may not be fun, but it's actually, that's not why my red, I have red light bulbs in my bedroom. Um, I have them because they don't perturb my brain's natural circadian inclination to wind down and start secreting that, like that nightly melatonin surge. And, uh, I try to minimize my exposure to overhead lights. So I keep my house really dark at night. Um, if I, if I'm feeling really nerdy, I'll put on some like blue blocking glasses while I watch TV or something, um, which I don't always do, but the uh, red, the red lens glasses. Yeah. 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 Just to kind of reduce some of the, like I have a, I have a massive TV. I'm a, I'm a film buff too. Like I'm a cinema cinemaphile. So when I want to watch a movie, like I'm not, wa- I'm not wearing those glasses. And generally like I have a, I have a home theater system, like a huge TV. And so um, so that's a lot of light, you know? So if I'm not watching something that I absolutely love, I'll put on the blue blockers and, um, and yeah, so that helps me like get sleepy. I try to keep my bedroom really cool, um, and dark. I don't, I don't have blackout shades. Um, and my, my bedroom actually doesn't often get as cool as I would like it to be because my, I don't have like a, 
an AC unit for my bedroom. So it's a big, it's not ideal, but you know, we can't let perfect be the enemy of the good. And so, um, but you know, I try to keep my bedroom cool. I try not to like, uh, spend any time that I don't have to, I don't work from bed. You know, I try to practice good sleep hygiene and, um, and I have one of these like mattress cooling things that I set to be relatively cold so that, cause you know, we know that like one of the things that your body does to wind down is it drops, you know, temperature. And then that's pretty much it. Then I go to bed and, uh, sleep mask. I don't have a sleep or I have one, but I don't use it. I don't use it, but I don't need to because I sleep with a, I'm kind of a weird sleeper. I put like, because I have low back issues, I I create like a a sleep fort for myself. So I know I sound like I'm 12. No, this is, this is, no, this is, you didn't say this. This is important. Let's hear it. Yeah. So I sleep with, I've got two king size pillows. So they're long pillows that flank me on both sides. And I kind of like tuck them under my hips because I sleep on my stomach. So it helps to elevate my hips, which makes my low back feel good. Um, and then I sleep, you know, obviously I have like my head on a pillow and then I sleep with another pillow on top of my head. Do you have a pillow that you love? You know, I just like, I, I get like medium firmness, like down pillows. It's not, I mean, they're for me pretty interchangeable, but they've got to be firm enough so that it stays on my head, but doesn't sink into my, like where I create this little space so that I can breathe. So... Yeah, so I've got one pillow underneath my head, one pillow on top of my head, two pillows on my side, <laughs> and then I've got another pillow right next to my head that my cat sleeps on. So um, I had uh, the the founder of Therabody on the podcast a couple of, like three or four weeks ago. Oh, cool. And uh, he also has a sleep fort set up that he, that he mentioned, five pillows. He sets his pillows up like before he gets into his bed, and you're the second person. To say the sleep for really? Like, oh yeah, I was I like and and coming from you and and Jason, I'm kind of like all right. These two guys are like these guys are like in the know, you know. Like they've got it's like this is something to to pay. This is like potentially a new a new business. I don't know, man. It could be could be why I'm perennially single as well. <laughs> but um, well, you know, I sleep really well. Like, you know, I also did. I also recently had a um, I did like a real pillow challenge. And I, I, I just posted, and I didn't know that like pillow companies have not done a good job at injecting themselves into the world of wellness. Hmm. There's not a single pillow company that, that, ha- that has been like, this is the pillow, because pillow is so important to me for sleep. And so I really wanted to know what was the best pillow. So I just posted like randomly, hey, anybody got any pillow recommendations? I'm trying to, I'm going to buy some new pillows. I'm trying to find some new pillows. And I'm telling you the amount of activity that I got on that story post was unbelievable. Wow. And five pillow companies sent me pillows to try. Amazing. And um, and I tried them all. And they were all good. What did you find out? Uh, well, I found out that I thought I was a side sleeper until I started paying attention to my sleeping. And I found out that I am a stomach sleeper, that I move around a lot in my sleep, but... I traditionally will will start on my stomach and end on my stomach. And then sometimes I'll find myself on my back or on my side, but I think the majority of the time I'm sleeping, I'm on my stomach. And I, I loved a, a pillow company, a company called Pillow Cube sent me um, a pillow that is specifically for side sleepers. So if you are a side sleeper, I highly recommend that pillow because it's re- it's a really cool idea and what they're doing really works. And, and, a, and a really amazing pro athlete that um, I'm friendly with, Kelsey Keel, uh, she's a CrossFit athlete. Um, she also highly recommended Pillow Cube, um, and they also make this this square pillow 
that I love, that I do use uh, pretty regularly, that you put between your knees. And so it actually, for my lower back, it really does um, make a difference because I have a very bad lower back as well. In terms of general pillow, what I found was there were two pillow companies that I loved, uh, Coop Home Pillows and Pluto Pillows. Both mm. of them were very, very good. I prefer the Coop because they actually send you extra stuffing um, with your pillow and they, they have a guide to tell you exactly if you're a side sleeper, back sleeper, whatever, they tell you exactly how much to take in and push it, put wow. out. So like the pillow game is a real thing. And, and I, I love the fact that like, I'm going to try the, the pillow fort. I'm going to yeah. try the pillow fort. Well, cause you're also a stomach sleeper like me. And for me, it really helps my low back to prop my hips up a little bit. So I put, I okay. kind of like, I kind of like push them both to be under my, I don't know what these bones are called, but like my hip bones, yeah. you know, and just to prop myself up a little bit there. Um, and yeah. And like, I sleep like a baby, like I sleep great. Um, I just want to ask you a few last questions about uh, habits. Cold exposure. Is that something that you think is a flash in the pan fad <laughs> or do you, do you actually, do you, do you like it? I, I enjoy it. Um, it's so funny because these fads, it's like wildfire on the internet where I feel like cliche now talking about it, but I've been doing this for years. And um, and I do it because of what it does for my, I do it because it, it. I feel like it helps my like low back, you know, like the inflammation or whatever that I have in my, in my low back occasionally. And then primarily I do it because of what it does to my brain. Like I feel like the, the mental acuity boost that I get from it, the it's like a, it's like a state change. If I'm depressed, if I'm anxious, I do, you know, either a cold shower or cold plunge. And, um, and it just makes my brain feel like I'm like hitting the reset button. Infrared sauna. Infrared sauna. I really like, but I prefer, I prefer hot finish sauna, traditional sauna. I think I'm like Scandinavian in, in a past life. Cause I just love like really hot sauna. And scientifically, is there like, do you, do you think that there's a significant difference between that super, super duper hot sauna that gets up to 210 degrees, like a barrel sauna or infrared? I think that there's probably overlapping benefits. And then there are probably benefits that are distinct to the, to both modalities, you know, but, um, observationally the research, like a lot of the research on saunas and health outcomes is, comes out of the university of Eastern Finland. And in Finland, where they do this research, they only use one kind of sauna. They use traditional hot sauna. And so it's, it, we can't extrapolate from those studies the benefits that, that one might incur from regularly doing an infrared sauna. I think there probably are some conserved benefits, you know, like you're sweating, you're, you're elevating your heart rate in an infrared sauna. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, just because we have like more data on the, on the actual like hot type, um, that's generally like my preference. And I just, I like the intensity of like really hot sauna. What about red light therapy? That's the, that's the one where I'm like the most skeptical, but, um, but I did speak to, first of all, there, there is some good science on it. You know, I saw one study that was like low back pain. It wasn't a perfect study, but like, you know, cause it's, it's hard to create like a sham condition. They call it like a, you know, like a fake red light condition. Like mm -hmm. you, you kind of know if you're putting red light 
on on a on a given body part. Um, so it's kind of hard to do like a random a control trial in that way. But um, but yeah, that it it seemed to be effective in this one small study for low back pain. So I've been you know using it on my low back. Um, the the and and I did speak to a researcher about it who like specifically is working on red light photobiomodulation and. You know, as skeptical as I am, like it seems to be able to penetrate the skin and it seems to have like all these like mitochondrial boosting effects, impossible to measure, definitely a bit of like woo woo vibes and like faith that you kind of have to go on when you're using it. But I don't know. I mean, I know, I know that whenever I've been like outside shirtless, like during like the part of the day when the sun is kind of low and you're getting those red light those red rays rays like i know that that makes me feel really good best time of the day best time of the day on the beach yeah. exactly mm-hmm. i know that that makes me feel really good i love that time of the day and and we know that there are benefits that we get from the sun that are not just like vitamin d and not just the light exposure for our circadian rhythms like we know that the uva light helps to release nitric oxide under the skin, which is really great for our blood pressure. You know, like we know that the sun actually helps like reduce hypertension. Um, so we know that there are like all these like these other benefits, like this constellation of benefits that that aren't, we can't just reduce to like vitamin D and whatever, you know? So I remain, I remain open-minded, but, but skeptical, but I do use it. Like I have a, I have a juve device in my house and I use it whenever I, whenever I can, you know? First of all, thank you so much for being here. This is a super fun conversation. I honestly think that I could probably talk to you for seven hours straight. Likewise, um, it's <laughs> so fun. Thanks for having me. Of course. You know, the, the one thing that I just want to say to finish this up, and then I have one last question for you, is that all these things, red light, sauna, cold, meditate, journal, read, write, fucking uh, nutrition, fitness, uh, all of it, all of it, supplements, you know, all, all that stuff. If the pursuit of, of, of life for you, me, whoever's listening is to be just a little bit better, right? Like that is why I do this, these things. Cause I genuinely want on a daily basis to show up as a better human being. I really do want to be better. I want to live, I want to live happy, healthy, and I want to be there for my wife and my kids. I want to, I want to be there for my, my business, my employees, my friends, all these things can potentially help you in that pursuit, right? And so I think it's, it's, we started out the conversation by saying, hey, like, there's a lot of shit out there. You definitely don't have to do any of it if, it's a, if, it, if it makes you stressed out, if it adds a level of, of discomfort or stress to your life. But adding a little bit of it with the idea that it's just going to help you potentially be a little bit better is why I created the business that I have today, which is a business about habits, because I do believe that the decisions that we make on a daily basis will ultimately paint a picture of our happiness. Fuck success. The decisions that we make on a daily basis consistently will paint a picture of whether we feel good or not. And typically those decisions start in the beginning of the day. And you take a little, whoever's listening or the, the listener, you take a little, little tidbits of these tiny little things and try to implement them into your life. Try them, right? Like if they work, great. If they don't, great. You know, I do believe that, that we live, we are posed with questions and decisions all day, every single day. 
It is the existence of life, right? Nonstop, we, we say yes or no. And so having these conversations, I think, really is value, valuable for people. Couldn't agree more. Life is like a tapas bar, you know? Like not, not everything that, that arrives to the table is going to be something that, that interests you or that you're going to enjoy. But, I mean, the more things that you can try and expose yourself to, like it's going to broaden your worldview as a, as a sentient, conscious spirit, you know? And exactly as you said, like you don't have to do everything and you shouldn't try to, you know, do everything at once. But, I mean, these tools exist and they're there for the taking. So why not? Why do you do what you do? Why do you, why? Why, why are you so interested in this? I think love is the answer. I mean, love is the answer to so many things. But for me, it's I love I love having these conversations. I love meeting inspiring people such as yourself. I love thinking about nutrition and health and fitness. Like it's just been, you know, it's it's a love affair that I've had for as long as I can remember. You know, from like my mid teens. The moment I discovered fitness and health, I just knew that it was this was going to be a lifelong love affair. Um, that's never let me down, you know, it's always there for me. And, um, and ultimately what I do, uh, in, in many ways was inspired by my mom who, um, I loved to death literally. And she was the, the latter end of her life was very tragic. She was, um, afflicted by many chronic conditions, health conditions. And, um, and it's my hope that with, you know, with my work and the content that I put out that I can help others, you know, avert or at least reduce their risk for the kinds of, for the, for the conditions that, that my mom had. I mean, my mom had a form of dementia and then she ultimately passed from pancreatic cancer and they were the most tragic, you know, seeing, seeing what she went through was just, was tragic and traumatic in every conceivable way. And, um, and yeah, so I mean, that's that's really what motivated me to like step to put my foot forward and 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 start like educating people, and um, and so yeah, so it's it's you know the love I have for her, the love I have for what it is that I'm doing, and ultimately like the feedback that I get and seeing people like pe- seeing people implement and and respond positively to the you know to my work, like it's just the, there's no better feeling. It's unbelievable. That is an incredible. Purpose and why. It's Thanks, an amazing brother. one for the moms. Um, if people want to find you and follow along the journey, if they, well, very few people I'm sure on this podcast listening don't know who you are, but if they don't, where would they find you? Thank you. Um, Instagram, I'm very active, at Max Lugavir. Um, and then I've got three books. My first book uh, was called Genius Foods, and it's a deep dive into um, nutrition as it pertains to brain health you know, brain health, mental health. It really is like a nutritional care manual for the brain. And then my most recent book came out, uh, it was called Genius Kitchen Cookbook um, slash wellness guide. So I've got books out and then um, my podcast is called The Genius Life and it's uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, man. I really, really appreciate it. Dude, thanks for having me. Let's get this oatmeal going. (laughs) And there you have it, folks. I hope we delivered some valuable content for you to implement into your life on a daily basis. Please remember that our habits have the power to make us or break us. Replacing bad habits with great ones is the answer to living a life of happiness, optimism, and high performance. 
We are capable of achieving anything. We all have what it takes to give it all we've got. Commit to one great habit each day and truly commit and watch how everything in your life starts evolving from good to great. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow us wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a five-star rating and a nice review that will help us grow this podcast, bring on more amazing guests, and continue to deliver invaluable content on a weekly basis. Lastly, please share this podcast with any friends or family that you think might appreciate it. And always remember, want plus do equals have. Until the next one, fam. Peace.